What's up, everybody? It is September 2nd of 2020. Yes, we have made it to September, but this is another episode of Just Talking Sports. My name is Marcus Modi, alongside my partners, Patton Cook and Gabe Jones. As we are still in a quarantine, we are all still in three different locations. I know Patton is still in Clarksville, even though me and Gabe are currently residing in Memphis. We're still in our lovely homes because we're still in a pandemic. Hopefully everybody is doing the necessary precautions as we are still fighting COVID and in this pandemic. But I will want to say first off, we got a couple things in store for us in the near future as our executive producer from our last academic year, uh, Joe Palmer is continuing the show with us. And while Sir Patton is still at Austin P, but Gabe and I, as our alma mater, we just want to thank APSU TV for continuing on with our show and we give thanks for it. We're going to give thanks each and every episode. You can search APSU, uh, you can find us on APSU TV on YouTube and just go uh, find Just Talking Sports underneath the videos and we have a playlist for with all our videos from these previous year and moving forward. You can, like I said, you can just find us on APSU TV and hit that like and subscribe button to find out uh, the local news around the campus and also in the within the local area in Clarksville at APSU TV. Another thing is you can find Just Talking Sports on Apple Music and Spotify. We are yes streaming on that those platforms as well. All you have to do is find Just Talking Sports. You're gonna see a picture of Gabe and Patton in the back of my head <laughs> as with uh, with the photo. But we're just gonna appreciate everybody tuning in. Share it with your friends and family. We'll gladly appreciate it. Now, starting, let's go on and get right into business. As Austin P had the first football, college football game of the 2020 season, but it did not go with the W in the win column as they lost to Central Arkansas with a score of 24 to 17. Yeah, and it, a really cool opportunity for um, a lot of these guys that may not get another opportunity like it because it wasn't just the the local community, the local FCS kind of school scouting who, who's going to be it. All of America was watching, all your favorite personalities, specifically for me, uh, Big Cat, Brandon Walker for the bar school scene. I mean, they, they were all up in the Austin P, especially after that opening touchdown uh, by the freshman for Austin P. So, Really a fun start for them, but really after that, they just had a real struggle on the offensive end, and I'm sure we'll get into it um, later on and, and further on into this uh, little show we got. But it really starts with the quarterback play. They just didn't get a consistent uh, performance from Jeremiah Oatswell, and I mentioned in the last podcast, there's a chance he's going to start out slow just because of the missed time, the missed reps, and what would be a normal kind of off season, he would – kind of get to make up in some in some of the missed uh, play last season. But this year, it was kind of a rushed together season, and it was always going to be tough for Jeremiah. So a really struggling start uh, from him. But um, the season is still young, and as I'm sure a lot of them will tell you that. So uh, a tough one to, to come out with. But as I said, the season is still young. Absolutely. Uh, Austin P. not looking to start off 0-1, but that's where they find themselves. Um, pretty pretty big game, being that it was a nationally televised game on ESPN, and they actually had some uh, a fair amount of people in attendance, 2,000 people in attendance, which will be um, possibly an anomaly for any and all sports events. But while they were out there on the field, uh, Austin P did not um, live up to what they wanted to offensively, as you said, Patton. Uh, just all, actually awful on uh, on important possess or important possessions of the of the field. Three for seventeen on third down, not getting many conversions. Uh, as you said, Oswald did he he had a visit a visit to Strugglesville um, during during this game the defense played pretty okay we had we had some production from our running backs but just overall not not the type of game that Austin P would like to repeat going forward but a place to build off going into the next game 
West Patton has said that first play of 20, the 2020 season went for 75 yards. That was a freshman, C.J. Evans. But outside of that first run of the ball game, the run game only went for 77 more yards for the entire game. Evans alone, after that 75-yard run, only went for 23 more yards. The offense, they, they struggled. Like Gabe said, they just struggled plain and simple. But one thing to point out, they did not have their star receiver, D'Angelo Wilson. He did not travel with the team. We were not fully for sure the reason why, but it was a COVID test done on Wednesday. So we think it was potentially could have possibly been COVID-related. But we're not having your star receiver two days before game day. The offensive coordinators and had to switch up a lot of things, and they probably was played outside of their comfort zone because last year, D'Angelo Wilson was getting 10 targets a game. And then the next man up was Benico Harley. Benico Harley did have a really solid game. It's just that when you're so used to having that first option that gets taken away from you, so suddenly, it's sometimes hard to adjust. Yeah, and, and that run game was always something that me specifically, I was always going to look at and see how they can kind of pick up the pace because they're losing the majority of their backfield that they had last season in Kentel Williams. And really, it was some, some newbies coming in. You mentioned C.J. Evans and then Brian Sneed, the, the transfer. Those were really two of the main guys. And I like what I saw from uh, Sneed specifically early, just the power that, it, that he was running with uh, early. It didn't look like a, a lot of the guys wanted to get, get two hands on him because, I mean, he was just running through arm tackles uh, like you love to see. But other than that, I, I think the run game really struggled to kind of help out Jeremiah Oatswell because Jeremiah, other than that big long run that CJ had early in the game, he was really their leading rusher in the game. The main production on the run game came – from Jeremiah and most of that wasn't designed runs it was escaping the pocket and trying to make uh, something out of nothing so um, ideally not the game that Jeremiah um, just circumstances wise would want to come back in especially I'm sure there was some emotional factor going into this game because this is the same team that he got knocked out against last year and he kind of had a moment in this game this past Saturday where he kind of got rolled up on and you were thinking oh my goodness not again kind of the lower extremities, but he got up from that. But uh, a tough one, especially like you mentioned, Marcus, um, D'Angelo Wilson, I mean, I don't want to say he's their entire offense, but he is, I would say, at least three-fourths of it, but just because if he doesn't get the ball on every play, it makes the defense think that he's going to get the ball every play. So um, not ideal from them, but on the defense, and I'll let Gabe uh, speak before I uh, – keep chomping my mouth here. I thought the defense played well enough to win this game. I thought they held um, the, the quarterback for uh, Central Arkansas, Braylon Smith. I thought they held him good enough. He threw 26 for 49. To me, for the talent that Braylon Smith has, that's good enough to win the ball game. Obviously, that final possession getting beat on the on the fade route isn't what you want from, from the cornerback, but I thought they did enough to win. Gabe, uh, would you agree or would you disagree? I was going to say that I think that the defense played fairly solid um, from what we expect coming in from last year as they played an outstanding season, uh, holding a quarterback like this to it, not really a subpar game, maybe subpar as far as completion rate, but he got his yards in, had a couple of interceptions, but I think that's an effect of this great defense that they have. How do you think that Austin Peay's defense played how do you think they played down the stretch with um, that late touchdown coming in? Personally, I think they got tired. Uh, and you mentioned it with the, the third downs. They weren't uh, – the offense wasn't on the field a whole lot uh, of that second half. So I think just the tiredness and especially they weren't getting towards the end of it up front, they weren't getting a lot of push. And a lot of that has to do with missing another main guy from a possibly another COVID-related, um, whether it was testing, whether he has it, we don't want to know. We don't want to speculate in Josephus Smith. That's a guy who just wreaks havoc on every offensive line that he played last year. And that's a guy you don't have this year, or at least this uh, this first game. So I think uh, just tiredness to me, that's what it looked like because you could see as the game were going on, they just it was slowly starting to break towards the end. But 
the offense didn't help them out uh, staying on the field, helping them get uh, a blow on, on the sideline. So um, that, that would be my answer. One thing I do want to point out, you did say a great point on the pressure. And they wouldn't get a lot of pressure in that last position. But also, it was doing a lot of soft coverage on the backside of yeah. it. So when you have no pressure with your front four and then going soft coverage, it was a lot of underneath throws that was helping out his completion rate, Braylon Smith's completion rate, to where he got his confidence up. And then those last two plays, I understand, Coach Bowman, you, you, you love your DBs. You love putting them on the island. But in that instance, you got no man over top, just one on one. Some in that in that situation, you might you might want to have at least one guy over the top, or two go two man safety over the top. And you, also, one thing I do want to say, they weren't throwing it to one side of the field, and, and the the reason why is because Isaiah Norman had five yeah. pass breakups. Isaiah Norman was on one side of the field, and they wasn't looking to his side. So it's a reason why. Braylon Smith was looking to his left on that last possession. And I think Isaiah is a guy who really helped himself out because although he was getting some traction from uh, the local and the FCS crowd, I've seen multiple uh, media outlets talk about Isaiah and just talk about how this is a guy who can play corner, he can play safety, and he's really a versatile athlete that can do a lot of stuff on the defensive side. So I think that's a guy who – really showed himself uh, very well on the on the defensive side. But, yeah, and, and really, if you look at last year, they had the same sort of issues late, uh, getting beat with big plays by the cornerback and, and the wide receiver, uh, LaShawn, LaJuan Winningham, rather. So um, kind of the same recipe for disaster kind of struck true again uh, for the Govs. And just a tough one to see because I thought for the majority of the game, even though – um, Braylon Smith had yards. I thought the corners played well enough to win the game. They just kind of – that uh, push up front wasn't there for them in, in the final drive. So a tough one to swallow, I'm sure, for this team. But, I mean, we'll talk about it, I guess, right now. They, they don't have any times to rest on their morals because they've got a tough opponent in Pittsburgh coming up. Yes, sir. The, the offense is going to have to roll. Or if not, it will be a stampede on the other side. As Pitt, they will play Pittsburgh. September 12th at 3 p.m. It's going to be on the ACT Network. Then after that, the next week, they're going to play Cincinnati. So that's a that's another big game. Those That could be three potential losses if the governor's offense doesn't come up and step up to play. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Let's see what their full offense will be once they get back those guys like on both sides, Josephus Smith and D'Angelo Wilson. And let's just see how they move forward as they take on these tough opponents. So now I'm and one other, go ahead. And, and one other thing, they will need to uh, they'll need to figure out that long snapping situation. I, I felt so bad for I believe it was Jack McDonald oh, who was God. the long snapper for Austin Peay because that was another position they were missing, I believe, due to another COVID mm-hmm. test malfunction. So. Um, Hopefully, uh, for them, for me, for everyone watching, it was just so painful to watch. You just felt terrible for Jack McDonald because at one point he was came over and said, I cannot do this anymore. And they finally just let uh, Oatesville just do the pooch punts. The governors are not going to need – it was one stat that had came up in the third quarter. Jeremiah Oatesville had 11 completions, and there were seven punts. And out of those seven punts, he did five of them. In order for the governor's offense to keep rolling – he's going to have to get that completion rate up. But I'm going to go ahead and switch things over. I'm going to pass it over to my partner like we do sometimes. It was how soccer players do. we got to get a good pass in to his, his teammate. Hadn't gone ahead and take it over. We ain't going to talk about soccer on today, but it's going to be with the NFL. Yeah, we got last week's football in. Now it's football, the American football. So, uh, yeah, this week the NFL, it's starting to gain some traction again. The, the news cycle, it is not slowing down. Uh, this time tomorrow, one week away from the NFL being back. I'm absolutely excited for it. Uh, one thing that will mean fantasy football, that'll be another thing we'll talk about a little later on. But we had some uh, some developments this week, guys, and specifically what I'm talking about that uh, scared me as a fantasy owner uh, of this young man, that's Alvin Kamara. He had a, a little dispute that I didn't hear anything about until after I drafted him on Sunday night. So, 
Alvin Kamara did not show up to practice uh, the past couple days. Gabe, should I be terrified of Alvin Kamara sitting out a full season like Le'Veon Bell did a wait, couple years back? Wait, Gabe, before you answer, I just want to point out that he did show up to practice today. So that, that was reported on today, so it might give Patton a little bit of hope. Hey, but Gabe, what, of, what, what did you make of the whole week. situation then? Hey, man, if the guys want to get paid, pay the man. And if they, if you don't think they should get paid, trade the man. <laughs> At least get something for for the value of uh, a great player. Alvin Kamara, his rookie year, I believe that he had like something ridiculous, like seven yards per carry. Now, that did not carry on into the – following year as well as him dealing with injuries and whatnot but he's he's a fantastic player a top I believe a top five running back when healthy I say paid the man but we'll see what the Saints decide to do he is back at practice so they must have been chirping something in his ear and Marcus, yesterday it came out that they were uh, they were open to trading Alvin Kamara, and that's really mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, this is – here we go. But as you mentioned, I, I think that might have had something to do with Alvin coming back today is, uh, hey, we'll, we'll trade you the Browns or something, somewhere you don't want to be if you're not careful, <laughs> so, so, so you better show up. But uh, question for, for you, Marcus, there's really a wider issue uh, that's not just Alvin Kamara and the Saints, and it's paying running backs. And that the whole issue with Derrick Henry and uh, multiple other running backs. Do you have an opinion on whether guys like Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, should they get paid their respected dollar, even though it it does show sometimes that paying the running back isn't always the smartest decisions and the smartest teams usually don't make them? The reason why the front offices don't want to pay running backs is due to analytics. Analytics show that a running back only has about seven years. And if you think about it, their rookie deal, they have four to five years on their first initial rookie deal. So that means you might only get maybe two more years of their prime. Why pay top dollar and give them a max amount when they could potentially get hurt? They're, they're going to they're feel like you're just robbing them of their money. Because production is going to go down. One thing I do want to point out with Alvin Kamara, Last year, the reason he was dealing with a lot of injuries, he only finished with, I think, about three touchdowns. But also, it was a lot of times that the Saints used him as a decoy because a lot of defenses was keying in, saying, we're going to stop Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, you can get whatever you want. But taking Alvin Kamara away from the Saints' offense, going to make you focus in on Michael Thomas, that's why I think they should go ahead and pay the man. I think that's going to be a really bad decision for the Saints because you let Mark Ingram just walk for free to go to the Ravens. If you was going to end up wanting to trade Alvin Kamara, you might as well should have traded Mark Ingram or kept Mark Ingram in that instance so you can still have a quality running back. And, and the whole issue with uh, per Adam Schefter right now is that Kamara believes he is a, a, bell, a bell cow back. And really, for the most time in, in his Saints career, he hasn't been that. He's been kind of sharing time, whether that's with Mark Ingram or last year, Latavius Murray came in and gave uh, the Saints pretty good production. Uh, Gabe, do you think he can be that type of guy who can really take the workload, even though he's shown in the past injuries have kept up on him? Or, or, or do you trust uh, Alvin that he can kind of stay healthy and be the guy that he thinks he can be? Well, with his ability to pass catch out of the backfield as well as run the ball, I believe that he's a three down back. So why not have him in the game? Why not always have him as a threat to, you know, make big plays on the field and yeah, on the field because off the field, then he is no threat. So, and and, and I think I agree. (laughs) I agree with that top five running back. It looks like he will be getting paid here shortly. Talks like Marcus said, are starting to increase after the little poker bluff played by both the, both individuals, the team and Alvin Kamara. The next story in this one, we're going to move over to a former Titan, uh, a guy that I wouldn't have mind to have back, but just it didn't look like contracts. The two teams see, uh, saw eye to eye, and that is Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan will sign a one-year deal with not the Jets, like many thought, but the New York Giants. Uh, just under $10 million a year from what it looks like, a one-year deal. So 
Marcus, is this kind of a, a one-year prove-it, or is this kind of just what Logan Ryan's going to have to expect for the rest of his career, just kind of these high-dollar uh, one-year deals? It was really tough for Logan Ryan because I believe for him, he was thinking of he could have got that Byron Jones kind of money to where Byron Jones got a max deal with the Dolphins. But Logan Ryan, he did have pro football focus, had him as one of the top corners in the league. He felt like he should have been able to get the top dollar money. But if you look at around the league now, they're not willing to give these top corners them dollars. You seen the Jaguars was ready to ship Jalen Ramsey to the quickness. And it looked like St. not St. Louis, but the Rams, Los Angeles, is struggling now because they paid Jalen Ramsey that top money. Byron Jones going to the Dolphins. Nobody really picking the Dolphins to do do much right now. And then for Logan Ryan instance, the Titans already have some young corners. That's that's one, that's another thing that the league is going to. They're looking to draft these young guys that's gonna be speedy, that can get you four three, four, four speed. Not not four three, but I'll say four four, four five speed. And be able to just defend well against the pass, but can also defend well on the run as well. So Logan Ryan, I think it's it is a proven year, but in the back of his mind, he's gonna to have to think that this might be the route that I'm gonna to have to just take for the rest of my career just because on how the NFL is shaping. Now, Gabe, uh, Logan Ryan looks like he's going to do what maybe uh, your boy Patrick Chung with the uh, New England Patriots is doing, kind of more of a safety uh, type role because I think really Logan Ryan's best trait isn't really his his coverage. I think right now it's just blitzing off the edge and just his sure tackling. Do you see that role – uh, with him being able to adjust, he's got a guy that he knows very well in Patrick Chung. Do you think he can uh, kind of move from more of a corner slot corner type to a safety? I believe that these guys are uber athletes and they can do almost anything that they put their mind to. So I 100% believe that he'll be able to be successful if he's put into that position and if he works at it. What saddens me is, as we were talking about the running backs, we're talking about the cornerbacks, these guys that, you know, they play tough, tough positions that they need. And it seems like teams only want to pay quarterbacks, even if they are subpar quarterbacks, Jared Goff. Um, And you have other other players and other positions that could get this money, that could get the money and, um, you know, provide something actual productive to your team. Uh, Logan Ryan's doing a good thing. I'm glad he's getting paid. He's putting his body, his health, his mind at risk. Go get the money, my friend. And can I speak on that point that Gabe just made? Maybe with the NFL, it's quarterbacks, wide receivers, and linebackers. Those are the three that they will be willing to give their dollar to quickly. You don't see that many defensive linemen getting paid top dollar. It's only, only, you only see a lot of Khalil Max, the Aaron Donalds. You, you don't see that many defensive linemen. You don't see a lot of safeties as well that's getting top dollar. Offensive linemen, yes, because they, they know that offensive linemen is a, is a pivotal position, position. But the other ones, tight ends, you don't see a lot of tight ends getting top dollar. You don't see running backs. So if, you, if you're a, few, a kid that's looking into football, you might want to look and see that because I know your family going to want to see you get that $100 million deal for a certain position might not be getting that for you. Yeah, and, and right now the Titans kind of went through the same thing. They didn't feel like paying Jarrell Casey. They just kind of went younger, cheaper in, in every other aspect. So more teams, it's not just the Titans. It's not just New England who has that reputation of not wanting to pay guys. The smarter teams are just not paying some of these positions. So Unfortunately for guys like Logan, that's kind of where the NFL's going. Moving on, uh, kind of a fun. Unless you're the Chiefs. Uh, well, and let, I, I don't know where they're getting all this money from. They keep paying a, a guy left and right. I turn around and he's got $80 million. <laughs> but uh, m- moving on, a we'll, little, little more of a fun topic. Uh, some of you might be drafting in your fantasy leagues uh, either in the coming weeks because only got a week until the season starts. So, Marcus, I know you've got uh, 
you're you're basically the uh, Mel Kuyper of, of the fantasy world right now. You're going to break us down the uh, the fantasy draft. Uh, I'll let you kind of give spread your knowledge to the people. I, I wouldn't call myself Mel Kuyper because I, <laughs> I think I've only won one league <laughs> in a few leagues that I have played. But one thing I will say, if you are if this is your first time playing fantasy football. Yes, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson look like enticing players, but do not draft a quarterback with your first pick because, yes, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson can get you a lot of points, but if Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson end up getting hurt, your team is screwed because if you if you have a top three pick and you're picking a quarterback, you're going to lose the guy that has a high usage rate. Just plain and simple. Like, you, to the first five picks off the top of my head immediately when, when I started this was Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas. Those should be your five that can, you can automatically know that that usage rate is going to be extremely high and you're going to get at least 15 points every game. Patrick Mahomes, yes, he will have games where he throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. He has a very extremely high-powered offense. But do not pick a quarterback in the first round, especially if, if you're in a 12-man league, you can might get away with it. But if you're in a 16-man league, please don't do it. I've seen, I've seen friends do it, and it backfired extremely bad. You don't want to be at the bottom of your league. Do not draft a quarterback. Absolutely. Uh, I myself drafted uh, Mr. Thomas Brady for Gabe. Uh, Tom Brady, I drafted him pretty late on in the draft. I want to say in the double-digit rounds. Um, so I think quarterbacks are always going to be there. Gabe, are you more of the uh, double up on running backs or wide receivers pretty early in, in, in your usual fantasy drafts, if, if you have the option to? In my opinion, I would go with the wide receivers. There are only a few running backs, but I think that you can get a pretty solid running back fairly late, as I have guys like Kenyon Drake, Alvin Kamara. Those are like my 10th guys on, on the running back list. Um, I will uh, parry Mr. Modi, Christian McCaffrey. I don't know if he'll be able to – put up that type of production in, in another back-to-back -back year. So I'd be uh, weary of drafting Mr. McCaffrey. So, Yeah, and right now Christian McCaffrey is the main guy and really the thought process there is he's going to get the ball almost every down. He's like a quarterback. He, uh, he does everything but take the snap, especially for the Panthers. Uh, I'll ask uh, Gabe – or I'll, I'll ask Marcus first, then Gabe. I'll let you think about it. Is there a dark horse that you would uh, kind of offer to people that – Obviously, you've got your top guys like Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, guys like that. Is there a – whether it's a quarterback, running back, tight end, uh, is there a dark horse you're kind of keeping your eye out that you can get late later on in the drafts that it could offer some early round potential? I think uh, a tight end for people would be Darren Waller from the Raiders. His usage rate was extremely high. He was a rookie last year. He's only going to get better. That's one person I would say in the sleeper round. Look, watch out for Mike Evans. Mike Evans might drop a little bit. He might get you. If you're able to swipe him in the third round, I think you should go after Mike Evans, especially with that high power offense. And quarterback, Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott is going to have a monster year with all the weapons that he had, in addition to CD Lamb. No short of productions for Dak Prescott. Uh, Gabe, who's your uh, your sleeper? Your the guy you're looking out for this year. My sleeper pick is Juju Smith Schuster. I think with the coming back of Big Ben, he's going to be seeing some balls, man. I think that the Steelers will be a fairly good team this year. Look out for Juju. All this resting on the health of Big Ben. Hope to see him back. One of the last few years we'll see of uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger. So that'll do it for this, uh, this NFL segment. We're going to send it to a quick break, and we'll send it out to our uh, – our resident NBA expert. He's in the bubble right now. He's He's <laughs> been called into the NBA bubble in Orlando. Gabriel Jones, uh, we'll, we'll talk some uh, NBA basketball after this short little break. Uh, we'll be back after this.
Welcome back to Just Talking Sports. Uh, here still with um, myself, Gabriel Jones, Marcus Modi, Patton Cook. Let's jump right into some NBA basketball. Last night, we saw the Nuggets in Utah Jazz, the game seven of the century. No, it, no. Was, it was okay. Uh, <laughs> a pretty low scoring game with the Nuggets coming out on top after a late missed three by Mike Conley. Actually, a wild scramble at the end. It wasn't the fireworks that we were expecting. I believe Vegas had the over-under of 218 combined. I believe Jamal Murray's um, points was at, I think, like 31, and Donovan Mitchell's was at 30 or something. But it was a it was a low scoring, pretty much kind of defensive, but kind of sloppy game. Uh, Marcus, what were your thoughts on this game seven? To think that the Denver Nuggets scored thirty points in the second half and to come out with a win was mind boggling. Like, and also I will say that the last seventeen seconds was just just it was a weird sequence of events that that just happened. I'm gonna let Patton go away because I can literally like photogenic tell everybody how it happened, but it was just, it was extremely weird. It was just an extremely weird sequence. Yeah, uh, apparently the weakness of the Denver Nuggets coming in was their defense. And I thought they looked great last night playing uh, some really great defense, whether that is just game seven and the intensity was up, I don't know. But I think I've, I, I really think I've seen that for the majority of the, of the series from, from the Nuggets. and. Coming in, I was thinking, all right, we might get a little 40-40 uh, game for uh, for Donovan Mitchell and also Jamal Murray, but really the complete opposite. And both of those guys were really guarding each other for the majority of the game, especially Donovan Mitchell on Jamal Murray. And I think Donovan Mitchell, uh, some of the best defense I've seen being played on a, on a guard 1v1 for the majority of the game. And, and unfortunately for Donovan, it just wasn't enough. And I'm sure he's going to have a lot of what ifs uh, if he could have made this shot, if he could have made that shot, if he didn't turn the ball over in the final uh, possession that before the Mike Conley heave at the buzzer. So a tough one to see, especially the raw emotion you saw from Donovan Mitchell at the end of it, where he really gave it all out there and it just wasn't enough. And unfortunately in sports, we all know this, you can try as much as you want. It doesn't mean you're going to win every single time. And I'm sure that's what Jamal Murray was telling his good friend, Donovan Mitchell, and um, just that. So a really a, a tough, but a, it was good to see a game seven like that, where just the intensity from minute one to, to the buzzer sounding was there from the start. And uh, sports fans were, were rejo rejoicing, I'm sure. Indeed. It was a, a type of grinded out game as both teams weren't were struggling to find offense for the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell not playing that great in the first half, but he did kind of wake up in the third quarter dropping, I believe, about 13 points to give him 20 at the end of the third quarter. Only scored one more field goal afterwards. Rudy Gobert actually played like a, a two-way center. Of course, you know what you're going to get from him on the defensive side of the ball. But even then, that didn't matter because Nikola Jokic showed that he is the offensive beast that he is with scoring 30 points, having 14 rebounds in the game. So, And even after the game, Nikola Jokic said that, you know, I just had to pick up the pace because Jamal Murray's been carrying me through this whole series. So I had to help him out with his struggles. Uh, Marcus, you did – did you want to go through that final 17 yeah. seconds of what Okay, so – before the seven, before it was seventeen point one seconds left, on the pre, on the Denver possession, Jokic hit a tough floater over Gobert to put him up to eighty to seventy eight was the score. Sideline out of bounds play. So, what they was trying to do was get Donovan Mitchell coming from beyond half court, getting the ball in stride, but they threw the ball to Royce O'Neal. That was my first problem there, because. I understand Joe Ingles is your inbounder, but try to give either Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell the ball initially. Because what happened? Royce O'Neal gets the ball, takes two dribbles, and picks up his dribble. Coaches everywhere says 
do not take only one or two dribbles and pick up the ball. If you're looking for somebody, keep dribbling and wait for the opportunity to happen. What he does, picks up his dribble, can't give Donovan the ball. They have to burn their final timeout. Then boom, another shot out of bounds. It was better execution on this one as Donovan got the ball moving down down the court because he got to be on half court, gets the screen, but this time he gets doubled and Gary Harris pokes it out. Okay, cool. You get the turnover. If you're Denver, Jamal Murray had the ball. He didn't have the best game, so what do you do? Gave the ball up to Torrey Craig. Now, if I'm on the Denver sidelines, I am questioning everything because it is under 24 seconds left. You have the ball. Why did Torrey Craig go for a layup? And, and when you ask me that, I still will not know to this day because they didn't have any timeouts. You was going to go get fouled, would have went to the free throw line. You could have burned time. But no, you're going to go for a, a layup and miss the layup. Not, not even that you converted the layup, you missed the layup. So they still had a chance to tie or win. And then what happens? Rebound, out, quick outlet pass to Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, seeing Mike Conley is ahead of the floor, throws a cross-court pass. And I'm not going to lie, Conley it was a little, little off balance, but I thought the shot was good. Donovan Mitchell also thought the shot was good as it went halfway in and came out, and that was the conclusion of the game. But if you're Denver, you can't put yourself in those kind of situations. If you're Utah, you got almost the benefit of the doubt because Conley almost hits a game winner to end the series for you. But still, like, both both teams made pivotal mistakes in the final 17 seconds to where it's like, it wasn't like no NBA basketball. It was more like of a high school game, those mental mistakes yeah. and those mental lapses were. When, one thing uh, just on that, um, I enjoy when players, although it isn't always the smartest thing to do, kind of forget that they're – professional basketball players like that is something like you said you'd see in a high school gym you're wanting to run up the score on, on, on your buddy from across town on, at, at a high school and you go up for the layup even though you could just dribble it out and and, and really I, I enjoy seeing that where they forget they're a professional athlete and where they just kind of think I'm just playing basketball but it nearly cost them and I'm with you Marcus because I was on Twitter in my stream on my computer because here at Austin P the cable, we don't work. I won't mention that. I won't throw them under the bus, but no cable in my dorm room. I'm still upset, but I'm streaming it on my laptop and I'm a little behind. So I go on Twitter and everyone's like, Oh my gosh. So I was like, well, what the hell, what the heck happened? And uh, here we are. Uh, I think Mike Conley's about to hit this shot. He's running into it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's about to hit this shot and he's about to win this series. But um a fun ending to really uh, one of the better series I think we're going to see in, in this year playoffs because I think there's a clear gap between a lot of these teams, especially the upcoming matchups, the Lakers and uh, either the Rockets or, or, or the OKC Thunder. I think there's a clear um, a clear difference between the two. So I think this series, it's going to be one of the more competitive series we will see this year and what we've seen in, in the past couple of years. I will say, Gabe, before you go on, I'm not going to lie. I think everybody wanted to see a high-scoring game because it was in the 120s, the 130s these past couple of games. You had Donovan Mitchell dropping 57, then going for back-to-back 40-point games. You had Jamal Murray for three straight games dropping 40. Go, he, his name is among Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan as the only players in NBA history to have three consecutive 40-point games. I questioned the Utah Jazz defense for allowing Jamal Murray to drop 40 in three straight games. But I will say it looked like he was somewhat hurt in game seven after that little, I think it was a hit to the thigh, or like a knee to the thigh or in the thigh area. So that's why Jokic had to step it up. But also I want to say Jokic is the star player. Jamal Murray, which is getting buckets. Indeed, Murray, the supplementary player that played like the number one option. I mean, the guy was 
out of control, really. That's really <laughs> what I can say, out of control in a good way. I mean, the guy's just throwing up everything, and it's just all going in. But that'll be it for the Utah Jazz. Uh, sing their blues songs on the on the plane ride home back to Utah. Uh, oh, one, one moving thing, on. One thing, one thing <laughs> uh, I do want to say. For I hope that Don, if you're a Utah Jazz fan, I really hope for your sake that Donovan Mitchell signs that extension because if not, that's going to be detrimental to your team moving forward. You, you just better hope Donovan that Donovan Mitchell he signs that that full. Fully guaranteed, hundred it was going to be at least hundred and eighty million for sure. Because he 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 didn't get an All NBA selection just yet, so it's going to be about hundred and eighty four. But if you're a Utah Jazz fan, you're you're saying pay the man as soon as October hit. Oh yeah, he he deserves every penny. Speaking of another guy that deserves everything that he gets, Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Milwaukee Bucks, the reigning defensive player of the year, going up against this Miami Heat team, who is possibly the dark horse of the entire NBA playoffs, coming in, taking game one, 115-104. It was a fairly convincing win. I mean, it wasn't like a a foot-in-the-butt type of win, but it was a, man, these Bucks have the lookout type pattern. What did you see in the game in game one? Well, I think this is just more of the same that we're starting to see from the Bucks. that if you can just really set up a, a wall against Giannis and just don't let him get out in transition, this team struggles and it struggles an awfully lot, especially even though you had Chris Middleton, one of his best games I've ever seen from him and they still ended up losing. So I think if uh, Miami, it's a team who's already a really good transition defense team, against normal players, but they really just emphasize that because instead of the usual fast break where you've got one or two guys, whenever a shot shot was up, either from Tyler Hero or other guys, there's four guys back already before Giannis even got the rebound. So really impressive from the Miami Heat. I'm a big fan of uh, this Miami Heat team and especially what Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley has done just a really complete team that can do it all. You've got a shooter in Tyler Hero. You've got a grit guy in Jimmy Butler who can score unlike a lot of guys in the NBA right now. And you've also got one of the most improved players in the league in Bam Adebayo, who I think had a really good shot at winning the most improved player of the year uh, this year for the NBA. So I think construction-wise from Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra and then just the pure talent on the floor right now, I really like the Miami Heat. I don't know if they're necessarily going to do that three games um, in, into the next possible six games. But I think the Milwaukee Bucks, this is another blueprint that shows this team is beatable if you can do the things that have to be done, which is really just stop Giannis in the transition. I thought for the Heat, uh, they did a really good job on the scouting report. They, they, they had a lot of time off, and they was going to make sure that Giannis couldn't get into his sweet spot. He loves, he loves getting into the middle, and that's one thing that's a lot different from a typical defensive team in the NBA is that they was face-trapping Giannis. They wasn't coming off the weak side, so there was a lot of strong side help, and they were just going to have to beat us with threes. Yeah, Brooke Lopez had a great first half. Chris Middleton had a great first half. But that's the thing with the Bucks is that they're going to have to play a complete 48 minutes in order to win a ball game. And can't, you can't have a 40-point first quarter but have 18 in the fourth quarter. That's not going to work against this Miami Heat team because when you go in a cold slump, that Heat team can get hot very quickly. And just to think, Duncan Robinson only had one made three on yesterday. I mean, not, not yesterday, a couple of days ago. And they won by 11. You can't let Duncan Robinson get hot against this team. Absolutely. Uh, Miami has pretty much every type of lineup that one would need to beat this Bucks team or any other team. You have a, a guy that can get a bucket at any time, Jimmy Butler, in which he had an outstanding game on the, on the game. He had 40 points, he which I'm not sure 40. that he'll put up 40 points every, 
<laughs> Absolutely. He probably won't draw 40 every game, but, man, he has the ability to do that. And whenever you have snipers on the wing like Harrow, Duncan, Robinson, you have speed defenders and Jay Crowder and Igadala, and as well as Bam Adebayo, who played fantastic defense on Giannis throughout the regular season in their matchups, held Giannis to 12 of 28 shooting um, 0 for 7 from 3 over over the matchups in the regular season. And then yeah, in the game, Giannis only scoring 18 points. If you can keep that guy, that, that Greek freak, to under 20 points and you have to make the other, the other guys on the team score, the Bucks are in, in, in trouble, I would say. And also, one more thing, for Coach Bud, you got to play Giannis. Giannis played 37 minutes yesterday, which is an amicable about amount of minutes. But whenever you have your horse, let your horse run. Guys play 40 minutes in the playoffs. Let the guy do, do what he did. And I, I've got one thing, and really, uh, it's the same sort of thing for for coach uh, for the head coach of Milwaukee. A lot of talk this week whether or not that Giannis should have been switched over to Jimmy Butler, and I have to agree. I think even if uh, coach uh, Coach Bud for the Milwaukee Bucks doesn't put Giannis on Jimmy Butler, I think Giannis has just got to take it upon himself to say this guy cannot score another point for the Miami Heat, at least late on. I get wanting to kind of save your guy like uh, Giannis because you need him. He does so much on the offensive end. And you kind of see that with LeBron now. They're not putting him on the best guy anymore to kind of conserve his energy, just what he can do on the offensive end. But the, the final two minutes, I think it is vital for Giannis to take a guy like Jimmy Butler just because with the length, and even though Jimmy's got the speed on him, I think with the pure strength and the length that Giannis has, it can make up for it in so many different areas, especially – the way uh, Jimmy Butler was uh, driving in that game, he wasn't pulling up a ton. A lot of, a lot of it was down low uh, at the rim. So to me, I don't know what you think about this, Marcus, but Giannis has to take Jimmy Butler in the final two minutes of these next upcoming games if they want a shot because right now no one could stop Jimmy Butler getting to the rim or pulling up uh, at, at the free throw line. Yeah, yeah, I do agree because, I mean, Chris Middleton – Wesley Matthews. Wesley Matthews is too too small for Jimmy Butler. Just plain and simple. Every time that Jimmy Butler sees Wesley Matthews in front of him, he's going to get to the basket or he's going to the free throw line. I'm sorry. Now Chris Middleton, he's somewhat bigger, but he he's slower, so he's able to get to his sweet spot. Giannis, he would give him a tough task, but one thing I think those those veterans now they they can't run with everybody like they want to. They they a lot of times. Really, the Heat, the Heat are just a bad matchup for the Bucks all around because if you switch, take Giannis and put him on Jimmy, that means somebody like Goran Dragic can get off potentially. Jay Crowder can hit you a couple of threes. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, these guys that can, they don't have to be Jimmy. That's the thing. So if you put, and like how the media is putting it on Giannis, like you have to go get Jimmy. Giannis is also like. Yeah, I have to worry about Jimmy, but I also got to worry about these other guys as well. They can go and get you 20 points out of out of nowhere in a spark of five minutes. So, like, I understand one thing with Coach Bud for me is that he can't go out and pay, play 10 to 11 guys in the playoffs. You just – I understand you want to get guys their minutes and whatnot, but you're going to have to bump it down to eight or nine because in crunch time moments, you can't just be going deep into your bench trusting that these young players are going to do it. Don't get me wrong. I love Dante DiVincenzo. But he can't be getting a lot of minutes here against this team. And and they really do need Eric Bledsoe back and pretty quick because oh, uh, yes. I, I like George Hill more than the next guy. I liked him on the Cavs whenever he was uh, traded for LeBron's last season. But he just says he shouldn't have any business out there guarding uh, Goran Dragic oh, because no. there's a clear difference between uh, Goran and also um, George Hill. So any if they can get Eric Bledsoe back uh, quick as quick as they can, that, that that'll be a big development. It's not as quick. They need him as soon as possible because well, yeah. <laughs> if, if if he doesn't play, I, I told I told a friend of uh, me and Gaze is that as soon as I saw Eric Bledsoe out, I was like Goran Dragic is going for 20 points. Easily. Yeah. And and Gorn had nineteen and a half. Like 
I'm sorry, George Hill, but you're you're a veteran and whatnot. But Goran Dragic is just going to give you buckets. Just plain and simple, yeah. he he is a scorer and he's going to get to the rim. He's going to come off those pick and rolls. He's going to get to the middle and his sweet spots. And you got to have a guy. You have to have a guy faster and a little bit stronger than Goran in order to give him problems. And that's just not George Hill. Indeed, indeed. Um, moving on, we'll quick hit. We'll quick hit the Celtics Raptors because I want to get into the Rockets Oklahoma City series. Yeah. But um, what do you guys think? Do you think that this Celtics Raptors series is over? I'll start with you, Pat. To me, I do, just because um, I think we're seeing a guy in Jason Tatum starting to become one of the best players in the NBA right now. And really the main issue uh, that I've had with him is even though that rookie season he had against the Cavaliers, he played well. He just didn't kind of grab the game uh, by the scruff of the neck because I remember multiple games, specifically, I believe game six and seven, the game was there for him to take in the fourth quarter and he just couldn't uh, get a hold of it or trust himself enough to kind of take that final shot that needed to be taken. But in this, in this series right now, uh, he's not deferring to Gordon Hayward or to uh, Jalen Brown or, uh, God forbid, Ennis Cantor. Uh, hopefully <laughs> they don't do that. But I, I, I've really enjoyed what I've seen from Jason Tatum. And also, I really am not liking what I'm seeing right now from Pascal Siakam, uh, Fred Van Vliet, and Kyle Lowry. Uh, just the, the shooting percentage they're shooting at right now, I believe it's under 40%. And when you've got a guy like Jason Tatum, he's breaking 30. He's right now averaging 30 in the playoffs. That, that just cannot happen uh, point blank simple. So unless I see a dramatic change, I think the Celtics have got this one in five or four games. Okay, now I don't I – don't... I'm going to let you know, Gabe, that I don't think it's going to be a five-game or gentleman sweep or a sweep. Uh, I think the difference for me with the Raptors, I do agree that Siakam, Kyle Lowry, and Fred Van Fleet, they have to shoot better. Uh, with Fred Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry, they combined only made six threes, and I believe they took – they're like six for 36 from three point land in the first two games. But I think the shots are going to fall for them. It's just been a little bit difficult because they haven't been used to uh, Marcus Smart, those Jalen Brown, the Jason Tatum. They have the the long, longer wing defenders on them. They they wasn't used to that because I mean in the previous series they had to face Karis LeVert, Chris Chioza, guys who are the same height as them. They they can they can get a lot of easier shots. So I think it's just a little minor adjustment. And then also I don't I want to say this as well. Don't anticipate Marcus Smart hitting five threes in the fourth quarter to, to bring his team back. Because they was down 10 at the start of the fourth quarter. And then, you know, there was a little chirping going on between Fred Van Fleet and Marcus Smart. But don't anticipate him hitting five or six threes within the first four minutes of the ball uh, of the quarter. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, – if, if that does end up having Marcus Smart doing that, I don't care what the Raptors do, and uh, they might as well start packing because uh, the bubble's about to be popped for them. But uh, even though I don't think that will happen for Marcus Smart, I don't envision Kimba Walker having uh, another struggling right. game like he did uh, last night. And he had that big shot in the fourth quarter, so maybe that can kind of boost them up a bit, kind of help his confidence because – Kimba's he's 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 a guy that you really don't see many bad games from him he kind of lives up to the moment and he did late in the game but just the entirety of the game he did not play very well so I would look for Kimba to have a much stronger game but uh, I think more the same from Jason Tatum for me also another sleeper for the Celtics these past two games Robert Williams he actually been playing really well for them he's still perfect in these first two games he started off with the quarter with 10 points in a in the first quarter and that helped him out because they were struggling in that first quarter but I know he has a lingering back issue so hopefully he can continue to stay healthy because he's been a a, a good factor for him I remember uh the first week he didn't show up to the first day of practices and meetings and whatnot but now look at him in the playoff time coming in clutch for the Celtics it's good to see Robert Williams uh giving it good quality minutes for the Celtics Absolutely. So, uh, final take. I got I got Celtics in five. Marcus, I think this game. I think this series is actually going to go seven. I think that the. I, that's what I had initially. I had both series in the East going seven games, 
And also, you, you can't forget that the Raptors was down 0-2 against the Bucks mm-hmm. just last year. Sure. So they, they understand deficit. Yes, they don't have Kawhi win it, but that championship DNA doesn't go away. And I think they're going to come back roaring these next two games. Siakam, I think, is going to come out. I don't think he's going to come out hot. Jalen Brown is a great two-way, two-way defender. He's going to he's, he is arguably top five in two-way defenders in the league right now. And it's showing against Pascal Siakam. I think Siakam is just going to understand how to get his shots efficiently even more now, seeing that how the deep, the Celtic defense is catering to him. Because it's, it's a lot different than what he has expected within the regular season and this playoff as teams are focusing in on him. Well, I think the Raptors can come back I don't know. This this is a toss-up one, I will say. It's how the Celtics team has been playing these first two games. I might say Celtics in seven, but I don't know. I can't I can't just be fully sold on the championship DNA for right now. So you might have to come back to me later on. Yeah, I, I like I like your pick. I like uh Celtics in five. I think just more of the same. I think uh it's gonna be tough when you don't have a guy like Kawhi Leonard who can single handedly win you a game. I don't think the Raptors have a guy like that who can really just drag them to a victory. I think if it were to be a guy, I think it's gonna be Pascal Siakam and I think Jalen Brown just playing him as good as he can right now, and I think more of the same later on in this series. So I think Celtics in five, uh, but on Robert Williams, Mark, it's just another guy that Danny Ainge gets out of the rough. I, I don't know where he does it. Some of these franchises, I'd love to know what they're, what they're scouting because him and I think Grant Williams has had a pretty good impact on the defensive end and rebounding specifically, just kind of late first, early second round guys that are making real impacts on, on playoff teams. Well, Marcus, he says that the Raptors down 2-0 are in no danger. Another team that was down 2-0 in danger for the other team, pushing it to a game seven, the Oklahoma City Thunder, mm-hmm. facing off against the Houston Rockets tonight. Guys, we got another one. Uh, is this one going to be fireworks, or is it going to be a dud show from the James Harden, our leading our scoring leader right now. Tell three me what years. you think. <laughs> he's, been a, <laughs> he's been a scoring champ for the past three years. Got to insert that one. Um, with this Rockets team, it's you. It's I don't know. I can't tell you. It could be a, a scoring clinic, or it can be another low-scoring game. Just mm-hmm. because their inconsistency to hit shots, just plain and simple, they can go and get you forty points in a quarter. And then go for eight minutes without hitting the hitting the three. That that's really going to be the key. Is are they going to be able to hit shots? Because keep in mind, the last time they was in a game seven, they missed twenty seven consecutive threes. I uh, I I have a really good feeling that we're going to have some fireworks tonight, and I just think with the the kind of element of James Harden and also Chris Paul coming together, I, I I'm I'm just it's bound to happen because I, I loved what Chris Paul said after the game that some people are just built for the fourth quarter. And I would argue that Chris Paul is built for the fourth quarter and James Harden is not built for the fourth quarter because in playoff time, I, I can't tell you a time where James Harden has shown up in the fourth quarter when his team needed him to. And uh, I, I like, I like Marcus's thunder tonight. I think a, a guy like Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander, I think those two are going to get it done. And, Whatever the Rockets do, they cannot let Russell Westbrook have the ball in crunch time. I, if someone else has to, has to make the decision because he is constantly making mistakes to end up killing his team, and that was more the same in game six where he just do it straight out of bounds looking for Robert Covington, and he's kind of looking at Robert like, what the heck? And Robert was looking at Russell like, what the heck? So, I mean, uh, uh, I, I like OKC in this one. I think more of a, a fun game. I think it will end up being low scoring because that's kind of the, the Rockets' MO in game sevens is kind of cold feet, uh, sweaty palm time, and the shooting is not always the greatest. So I, I like OKC in this one. Fingers crossed for Chris Paul because I think this would be a great story for him. What looked to be a lottery team moving on uh, further in the playoffs than anyone would have thought. I know you guys clowned me at the last year saying that 
this was a potential playoff team. So I'm 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 gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with the guys and go Thunder. I say Thunder by three because I know it's gonna be a close game. It ain't gonna be no like push away. I think it's gonna be a four three to four point game. What is interesting to me, we have a series where one team has pretty much nothing to lose. If the Oklahoma City Thunder goes down against the Rockets, I mean, it would be another mark on Chris Paul's career, his illustrious regular season career. But in the playoffs, he has had some duds, some things being his fault, some things not so much. But for the Houston Rockets, your two stars in James Harden and Russell Westbrook, Russ Westbrook, who's been out of the first round the first the last two years, and James Harden, of course, we know his struggles against the Spurs. He got blocked by Manu Ginobili against, <laughs> I believe, the Clippers. His team, he lost. His team came back against the Clippers like by like 30-something points. He's on the bench laying down. Uh, multiple, multiple times where they've blown games. And, of course, against Golden State being up 3-2 or going missing 27 threes. What do you think is the next move for the Rockets if they were to lose this game? I'll, I'll go first and then I'll let you go, Marcus. I, like, like you said, the, these two teams couldn't be any more different because what the Rockets gave up to get Russell Westbrook, they are in win-now mode. And, they, and this window isn't open for much longer. I think three years at the max. And then I think the decline of Russell Westbrook that relies so much on his um, athletic ability, I think that's what it's going to be. Three years is what this team has. So if they don't get through it this year, do you look at Mike D'Antoni because his whole system is built on this shooting, and if, if they don't shoot well in the playoffs, well, who do you look to? It's got to be the head coach. So for me, I think uh, Mike D'Antoni better hope that his guys can shoot the ball like they do in the regular season. He's not like it. He's not asking them to do something that they don't do normally. So I think if uh, if the Rockets don't end up winning this game tonight. I, I think Mike D'Antoni's job has got to be in, in trouble. But if the Thunder lose tonight, it, it changes nothing. They are in win-mal mode right now. This is just icing on top of the cake and further experience for these young guys that they have that could possibly do something like Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think uh, for the Rockets, I wouldn't be – I would not be surprised if they fired Mike D'Antoni because the analytics side of things and – how everything has been set up for the Rockets just to shoot threes nonstop, just threes and layups. It hasn't worked out in their favor to get them to the finals. And that's, that's, that's the thing. If, if Mike D'Antoni was able to get to the finals, he would have been a Rocket for, for quite some time. But the inability to get to the finals and to where – Russell Westbrook, now, one thing I will say, if Russell Westbrook was fully healthy, this is a totally different series. Just, I'm just going to be honest with you. Even though I am a Thunder fan, I know that Russell Westbrook would have gave the, the Thunder problem just by himself. But he did. He isn't fully healthy. That could come into question. The Thunder have the most clutches team. They, they, the most clutch points by a man by the name of Chris Paul, what people call the point god. <laughs> And then Russell Westbrook and James Harden, James Harden, and clutch moments. Sometimes he go in the hide, and so it, it doesn't look too well. But if they want to change the narrative, if Houston wants to change the narrative today, is the day to do it. You just gotta hope and see. Will they change the narrative? If you are the Thunder, you're happy on you got to this point, and then just know that you got eight picks down the line for the next five years. So you you have everything in store for right now and for your future. Lou Dort, Darius Baisley have been playing outstanding as rookies. Who would have thought Lou Dort was going to be playing exceptional defense to James Harden, even though James Harden is getting 27 easily a night? I mean, he's getting those 27 basically easily on anybody not named Lou Dort. Dort is actually giving him the blues. But, yes, as far as the Rockets go, as we've seen, James Harden is a magician in the fourth quarter. 
not blowing our minds, but a lot of disappearing acts. And as far as Russell Westbrook, he tries, he tries, he tries, and often and fails. I mean, we did see in, in the last three minutes he brought the ball up the court. I don't think James Harden touched it nearly enough, but I don't think James Harden wanted to wanted touch it. Or at least, you know, if you're the – absolutely, man, you got to go get it. You have to go get it if you are the best player. If, if you believe you're the best player on the court, go get the ball, man. If you're the coach, I'll put some onus on Mike D'Antoni. Make make them get him the ball. That's how it goes and, for the Rockets. And, and, and I really think if if uh, if they can't win this game here, how can they expect in the next couple of years to take on a team with Kawhi, Paul George, and, uh, and those uh, great players they've got on the bench? There's just no way. So, I mean – now, like uh, like you said, now was the time to kind of prove the doubters wrong, prove us wrong. We're dogging you, James Harden. Just show us a vintage Game Seven game where you take over this one and you don't let the fourth quarter become uh, become a problem. Finish it before the fourth quarter gets there. So I think um, a really good opportunity against. I think Marcus, you would agree, this team in OKC isn't supremely talented. Uh, I think they're really well coached and they play very hard and very well. They know what they're doing, but. This isn't a team that's not going to – they're not more talented than, than the Rockets, that's for sure. Fair enough. I will say that, that you are correct on that. But as a Thunder fan, I want to thunder up, baby, <laughs> to get this W on, on tonight. <laughs> yeah, I know I might – we're going to have a little conversation. Either it's going to be extreme happiness or I might be a little sad, but I can't be fully sad But just because we went far beyond expectations. And it's good enough to say that my team got to the playoffs when Cleveland was clowning me earlier on, saying that we wouldn't even be a playoff team. It feels good. But shout out to Chris Paul, the point guard. Go ahead and get you some clutch buckets once again. You might have to pat uh, James Harden on the backside as well. But we're gonna, that's going to be all that we're going to have here on today. Once again, my name is Marcus Modi and Gabe, Gabe Jones, Patton Cook. This is Just Talking Sports. Like I said in earlier on the show, you can find this on Spotify and Apple Music at Just Talking Sports. And you can also find the videos on YouTube at APSU TV. Thank you guys for listening and tuning in. And we just want to say hopefully you have a good afternoon.